We are excited to have with us the founder of Servants of Grace and author of The Word Explored, Dave Jenkins. Welcome back to Exposit the Word, Dave. Hey, Dave. It's good to have you, brother. Or good to be with you again, brother. Thank you so uh, much for having me. No problem at all, Dave. Your book has been out for a couple of months now. What sort of feedback are you getting from people that have read it so far? Yeah, yeah. Everybody's liking it so far. I haven't I haven't got any negative feedback or anything. Uh, people are really enjoying it. They're finding it helpful and uh, getting a lot of encouraging feedback that, uh, you know, they're being helped by it. So praise God. Yeah, good, good. Before we get into any any specific questions, give us an overview of what your book's about and who your intended reader is. Yeah, yeah. I'm aiming to go for the even the new to mature Christian. I'm I'm really writing uh, not so much a how book, but like a why book. Uh, so why are we reading the Bible? I'm aiming at the motivations. So what I'm really trying to do is I'm trying to help us, you know, love the love the Lord, love the church, and love the people of God, and and not only learn to why we read the Bible, but why we do life with one another in the local church. So. Yeah, great. We're recording this in the middle of 2021. What is the current state of place statistically as to where people are in terms of reading their Bibles? Boy, it's uh, it's so tragic. I mean, uh, the Bible is a study that George Barnett does every year. It reveals that 181 million Americans opened a Bible in the past year. Uh, this number is up significantly sub to 7.1 from 2020 when 169 million adults use the Bible, at least occasionally. In 2021, he estimates that 120 million or yeah, 128 million American adults uh, reached for the Bible uh, with some regularity. O over one third of U.S. adults read the Bible once a week, uh, half read the Bible less than twice a year. And between these two extremes, we find they found that reading the Bible more than twice a year, but not on a weekly basis. So one in six adults reads the Bible most days during the week, up from 12 percent. A few years back, uh, Barna concluded that 82 percent of Americans believe that God helps those who help themselves is a Bible verse. 81% uh, uh, believe that the Bible teaches the primary purpose of one's life is to take care of one's family. 12% of adults believe that Joan of Arc was Noah's wife. That's shocking. 50% uh, of graduating high school seniors thought that Sodom and Gomorrah were husband and wife. Uh, so, boy, we got, a, we got a big problem there. Yeah. One of the common pushbacks is that people do not have time to read and study the Bible. But Costi Hinn makes a great point in the forward, stating that we all have the same 24 hours, but it's how and what we prioritize and value that we end up doing. What are some practical tips that you have found to be helpful in making sure that you've always got time to read and study God's word? Yeah, yeah. Focus more on quality and, and of time spent and less about the quantity of time. So what I mean is spend maybe five to 10 minutes a day reading God's word or listening to it um, on a good app like the ESV Bible app or, or one of those types of ones. Uh, read the read the book or listen to the book your pastor is preaching through is another big thing. Um, the key idea here is to build good habits for your life. You know, you want to work out and those are good things, but you also need those kind of habits with you know, your, your life in Christ and availing yourself of what we would call the means of grace, which, are, you know, are prayer and spiritual uh, prayer and Bible reading and, you know, good local church attendance and uh, those types of things. So. Yeah. You start the book by setting the scene and describing what price has been paid by some of the heroes of the faith to ensure that we have an accurate translation of a Bible in our own language today. Tell us about that, Dave. 
Yeah, well, well William Tyndale was born in um, uh, 494 AD. He died in 1536. The whole aim of Tyndale's life was to get the Bible into people's hands so they could read it themselves, which was a huge thing because they didn't have that um, at that time. And so Tyndale devoted his life um, to doing that. He traveled all about around Europe uh, in 1525. He landed in the cities of Worms, Germany. That might sound familiar. That's where a famous scene happened with with Luther, uh, in case you're wondering. Um, so in 1525, Tyndale's version of the New Testament emerged, and from Worms, it was transported and distributed uh, all over all over Europe, including England. And it arrived in England going off like a nuclear bomb, um, as you can imagine. King Henry VII, Cardinal Wolsey, Sir Thomas More, others, they were, <laughs> to say they were upset was uh, putting it mildly. You know, they, they wanted control over over the people. They didn't want people to, to read the Bible. So with help, uh, Tyndale evaded authorities, um, and he kept working on his translation of the New Testament, and he began work on the on his uh, work on the uh, on the Old Testament. Um, in 1535, Henry Phillips lured, lured uh, Tyndale away from the safety of his home, and instead of ensuring his safety, um, he set a trap for him. Uh, Tyndale was then uh, sent to the castle of the board, the great state prison of the Low Countries. He was accused of heresy. In 1536, Tyndale was condemned as a heretic. He was delivered to the secular authorities. Um, on October uh, 6th of uh, 1536, Tyndale was brought to the middle of the town square, given an opportunity to recant like Luther, except in his case, uh, Tyndale was, uh, you know, uh, strangled, put up on a car, bound to a cross, strangled, and being uh, strangled, uh, Tyndale was burned by the executioner who set the wood ablaze with a lighted torch. So, you know, he uh, he gave his life for people to read uh, the Bible and you know, God bless him. Thank, we're thankful for his sacrifice and service to Christ. So, yeah. Another reason why a lot of people fail to become engaged with reading their Bibles is because they simply do not understand it. They fail to see the thread of God's whole redemptive plan flowing all the way through the Old Testament through to the New Testament. If you will, Dave, will you give us a 50 foot flyover of the whole story of God's word? Yeah, absolutely. All, all well, first off, the big thing is to say all scripture points to Jesus, right? I mean, that's in John 539. You know, all the scripture testifies of him, Luke 24. Uh, Jesus is interpreting the, the Old Testament uh, to, to the disciples on the Emmaus Road. Now, 50,000 50, foot uh, overview, flyover. Uh, you know, when Jesus said it's finished in John 1930, he brought about the completion of the Old Testament prophecies the symbols, the foreshadowing, everything about himself. From the beginning of Genesis to the end of Malachi, there's some 300 detailed prophecies about the anointed one. They're all fulfilled by Jesus, from the seed who would crush the serpent's head to the suffering servant to John the Baptist, the messenger of the Lord, who prepared the way for Jesus. All the prophecies were fulfilled and, and finished in the life, ministry, and death of the Lord Jesus. Brilliant. Dave, that, that was good. I was expecting it to take longer than that, Dave. That's good. <laughs> you really I mean, I can, I can go longer, but, you know. <laughs> what are some important tools that people should use and apply when reading God's Word? Well, the important thing to understand about application is that application is the result of, you know, good interpretation. But we also need to understand that application is a matter of obedience. Like, you know, we, we the, so the first point is, is, you know, we, we have to do our work. We have to understand the context and the meaning of the text. That's what I mean by good interpretation. 
Um, and that will help us to understand and get to the right application. Because if we just focus on, oh, here's one, two, three, four points, and here's my points, and blah, 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 and we don't even do the work of the context or understand the context and the meaning of, of the book at hand and, and then, you know, exegete the text, you know, seeking to rightly understand it. We're always going to get the wrong meaning, and then we're going to get the wrong application. And when we get the wrong meaning, we're going to teach falsely. When we apply the word wrongly, we're going to mislead people, and you know, then we're going to confuse them. So um, that's why having a good understanding of biblical uh, interpretation is so important. Context, uh, understanding the meaning, understanding what the author is doing throughout the book. And then, you know, engaging in um, good interpretation. And then you're going to get, you're going to have an easier time when you do that, when you, as you work, study the text in context, work through the text to discover the meaning, um, you're going to have a much easier time uh, understanding the application of the text. And you're going to get the right meaning of the text. And as a result, you're going to get the right application. Yeah, brilliant. A word that you mentioned loads of times already, Dave, is context. Why is it important that we we understand the context in, in the time that the Bible was actually written to the people that it was written to, rather than us actually reading it as if the Bible was written in 2021 to us today? Yeah, for a well, while, for example, I mean, if you don't get the right meaning of Hebrews and you don't see it as a, a sermon written to struggling persecuted Christians, or even First Peter, um, you're going to get the wrong meaning. Uh, in fact, people get the wrong meaning of Hebrews all the time. They they see that it teaches a conditional salvation, and there's no way that a a pastor preaching to his people the probably what we call the longest expository sermon in the Bible is is preaching a conditional message of salvation because like the context of that book is about how jesus is better than everything so it makes no sense then that he would be preaching that our salvation is conditioned on something that we could lose mm -hmm. rather than it's based and grounded in the finished and sufficient work of jesus who is our high priest um you know our, the mediator of the new covenant and uh you know, is interceding for us. So that kind of explains like the, how, why the context is so important. It has not only, um, it not only affects how we, um, you know, understand the, the book that we're considering, but it has massive theological implication and application. Yeah. What role does the Holy Spirit play as we read our Bibles? Yeah, yeah, there's, there's an the upper room discourse, Jesus, uh, the upper room discourse is Jesus seminary level education for his disciples, and he has three points to give, you know, to them, uh, he wants to teach them the truth from scripture. Um, and then from the scripture, he wants to point them to himself to G uh, Jesus does wants to point them to himself. And then he wants to send them out on mission, you know, from the local church to make disciples and make disciples of Jesus. Yeah. What are some of the biggest mistakes that we can make when we read our Bibles in the wrong way? Oh, boy, brother. <laughs> that is a good question. You know, first, the first big one is we can read ourselves in this story. So then we're the hero of the story, right? No, no, that's, that's bad. Uh, the second big one is we come to the Bible to prove our views, right? Rather than doing the work, as we just talked about, of understanding the audience of the biblical uh, book that we're reading or, or studying addresses. And what ends up happening then, as, as I just explained, is we not only get the wrong meaning, uh, but we're not approaching the text with humility. That that, uh, that's a that's a big issue today that that actually the bigger issue that that second one is a big one but the bigger one that we have today is is we have people who come to the bible not only to prove their views right but they come with a wrong idea of what the bible is and uh what god aims to do through the word this is how you not only get 
you know, wrong interpretation, you also get false teaching. Yeah, that's a really good point. So, I mean, we've, we would both have heard it said many times before, Dave. It's possible, isn't it, to make the Bible say whatever you want it to say, right? A, a Bible verse here out of context, a Bible verse very out of context leads to being able to pretty much start any theology or endorse any kind of sin that you want in your life, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look at the look at the Mormons. They retranslate in the Jehovah's Witness. They retranslate the Bible so that uh, they can get a meaning that it doesn't support. Even though Revelation twenty two strictly forbids this yeah. and actually attaches a curse on those who do such a thing to add to the Bible, which is what they do, uh, but they would even retranslate that. And so that's where we get. That's why we have to understand the 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 understand and approach the Bible on its own terms, not on the terms that we set, but on its own terms. And then we will be able to even begin to have a discussion. I mean, you can't even, that's the thing. Some people think you can have a discussion about these matters, uh, but if you don't have the right view of the Bible, you're always going to get the wrong interpretation and the wrong application, and you're always going to teach falsely. And that's what's happening. I'm not even talking about Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses. I'm talking about there are Christians that do this today. Well, we're going to talk about that in a a minute, but let's just spend a little bit of time and talk about Jesus. How did Jesus use scripture in his teaching? Yeah, well, we talked about in John, I just talked about in John 5, 39, Jesus testified that the whole scripture was about me. In Luke 24, he's preaching to the, on the road to Emmaus to the, to the disciples. He opens their eyes. He teaches them from the scripture. Uh, Luke 24, 27 says, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted them and all the scripture, the things concerning himself. Now, types are, it's important to understand types as you're reading the Bible. They're all over the Bible. So once you know what these are, you're going to, you can't unsee it. You know, it's like, ah, you can't see it. Uh, but, but so types are persons, events, and institutions that typify uh, Jesus. They, they characterize the coming of Messiah and his work. For example, Moses was a type of Christ as our deliverer from bondage. King David was a type of Christ as a faithful king. Solomon typified Jesus' reign of peace and glory. The conquest of Jericho was a type of Christ conquering over Satan. The tabernacle typified God as he dwelled among his people through Christ. And so these stories or these types, they help Christians to better understand and even appreciate uh, the ministry and work of Jesus. Um, so Jesus, uh, the good news is Jesus fulfills all of these. Uh, they all, he points, uh, they all point to himself and they find their fulfillment in him. Mm. In the book of James, we read about being doers of the word, not only hearers. What does that mean? Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, you know, James one twenty two through 25, it's a definitive test on integrating the, the word into our lives, not just saying, oh, well, this part of my life and this part of my life. It's, it's what's aiming to do is it's aiming to get us to understand what does it look like to integrate um, the word into our lives. So he, what he wants to do is he wants his readers to know not only the answer to the question of what the gospel is, how it saved our souls, but also whether we're we're presently persevering in joy in the goodness of God in Christ. And so he commands that if the word isn't planted in you, then it's going to bring forth evidence um, and you're going to demonstrate it. And he knows that James knows that this is not a trivial matter. Um, He knows that it might be out of our reach, which is why in James one five, he asks us to ask for wisdom um, and and God will will give it to us uh, because of the implanted word. And so the word doers is actually uh, in one twenty two James one twenty two, which is what your question is about, is active. It means like 
you know, your mom might have said, actions speak louder than words, right? Uh, what does she mean by that? She means that your, your actions matter, right? But James's point is actually more forceful than even what your mother would say. Uh, she's, he's actually saying, become a doer. He, he's concerned that believing the right thing should lead to right practice, for faith must always lead to action. Uh, that's in James 2. James says that those who are generally wise are those who show it through evidence. So those who know the right things and, and don't do it, James says, it, it's sin because they're acting contrary to what they profess. Yeah. And just to make sure that nobody's hearing this wrongly, Dave, this isn't talking about them becoming confused with some sort of works-based salvation. Right? This is back talking about a fruit of our salvation. Right? Can you just sort of clarify and build on that for us? Yeah, absolutely. Well, salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. So our works are a demonstrate, a demonstration of, you know, a manifestation of the the work of regeneration in our hearts, where God, you know, takes our replaces our heart of stone, and and He uh, gives us new desires, new new affections for Himself. That so when we talk about this, we're not talking about oh, we're saved by our works. We're we're, we're R.C. Sproul once said we're saved by the works of Christ. You know, so that's what we're we're talking about here. So it's everything flows in the Christian life from, um, yeah, from Christ, from His finished and sufficient work, and outside because of that, we're going to want to you know demonstrate our faith. It's like so. The more that you think, uh, I I put it this way: the more that you think of the glories of Christ, the more you're going to want to share the glories of Christ. You can't help it because you're if you're indwelt by the Spirit. What is this? We just talked about this. The Spirit wants to take the word yeah. and he wants you to grow to be like jesus he wants to grow in biblical truth so that you can go make disciples so that's what we're that's what we're talking about yeah. here yeah brilliant yeah. we were just talking about false teachers a few moments ago just pick back up on that again now dave another issue that you've written about in this book is the fact that christians also grow when hearing the word of god but unfortunately like you were saying we live in an age where huge discernment is needed to ensure that the person they're listening to is actually teaching the word of god what are some important things for our listeners to bear in mind when deciding which teachers to watch or listen to? Yeah, well, First Thessalonians 5, 21 through 22 tells us that we're supposed to examine everything. That is to, that is to examine everything, uh, to analyze, to test, to prove. It's to test its genuineness, like you would, you know, they would test the genuineness of, a, of, of the metal of a car before they roll it out. You know, they, they do a certain tests, and so that's what Paul wants us to do. He wants us to test things by the word of God to, so that we can distinguish what is true and what is false. He wants us to uh, examine everything. and have, So there's three things that I think are helpful as you listen to a teacher or a preacher of God's word. Do they have a high and a right view of God's word? Do they believe that, it, that it's not only uh, reliable, that it comes from, from God? Uh, that it's with error, without the impossible, without the possibility of error. That it's for every uh, phase and every part of life. That it's clear and that it's binding on our lives. So that would be a high view of Scripture. Um, do they believe because of that? Do they believe biblical things and have a high view of God? Meaning, in a high view of God flows from the revelation He's given about Himself. Um, so that helps us, you know, to obviously have a right view of creation of ourselves, of of Jesus, and and everything. Uh, but also we need to have a correct view of the gospel. You know, the gospel, as, as you were talking about, 
you know, to clarify, you know, before, oh, well, are you talking about our works? Is it all about Dave Jenkins? Is it all about Dave Knight? Or is it all about Jesus? And uh, the gospel tells us it's all about Jesus. It's all about what he has done um, in his finished and sufficient work as we as we talked about, he's the type and the anti-type. He's the perfect substitute that paid our paid the penalty for us in our place and for our sin, and was buried and rose again for us. So, this uh, a high view of Scripture, a high view of God, uh, a high view and a right view of the gospel um, are so vital as we listen, as we're taught uh, from our pastor or anybody to have in mind, because they will help us to have a biblical. Uh, worldview, and they'll help us to discern uh, what we're hearing, whether it's right or wrong, or, hey, uh, I think we need to come alongside here and have a little conversation about this thing that you said, because I'm not really sure, you know, and and asking like you did, oh, are you saying this, you know, like you did? That's so good, uh, because here's why. What we input into our lives is what we're going to become, so guarding our hearts and our minds with scripture and, and analyzing and testing to see whether it's scriptural, uh, so critical. That's what discernment is all about. Yeah, brilliant. Really, really good. What are some of the most common arguments you've heard people say in denying that the Bible is actually God's word? And how do you answer those critics? Yeah, yeah. Well, this this one is a little bit longer. Um, you know, theological liberalism basically has to do with what we feel. So there's a theology from below looks to human experience. Uh, so the, what this does is it makes the Bible at the same level of any level of scripture. So like Homer's Iliad or or anything like that. Um, so a theology from below means that you have the Bible and feeling side by side. Well, that's that. So not only does the Bible lack what we just explained about it being reliable and trustworthy coming from God, but it's at the same level as Homer's Iliad or any other piece of literature that we would have. Now, now that is tragic because the church has always taught that the Bible is reliable and trustworthy for every phase and every part. It's clear and, uh, you know, it's for um, all of, of life. So when we place our feeling at the level of place the Bible uh, and relegate it to a piece of literature, nothing more than that, or it's about what we feel, well, <laughs> We have a, a, a we, we immediately deny um, that it's uh, God breathed that it's for our good and um, and um, so what do we what do we do about this uh, rather than just getting into all this um, actually I have another book coming out that actually seeks to explain these things in some detail but uh, we can ask we should challenge this position by asking people the question what specific verses or even verses uh, do these supposed errors occur? And notice I said supposed because they are supposed. Uh, the, the, the church has always responded to these things. Um, there's lots of good answers uh, you know, to these things. And so when, when people answer these things, we go straight to the Bible. Um, so we who believe that the Bible is without error and without the possibility of error, uh, we should go to those texts, supposed errors, and we should study them using what I talked about earlier, the context and um, you know, explaining the meaning and those types of things, um, and in minute detail, and that's what they that's what they do. Um, now, in a few cases, some passages may give no immediate, um, you know, answer to the difficulties. That's why we need commentaries and good theological resources. Um, it's important to understand that the that 
Christian teachers and theologians have been wrestling with difficult matters for you know our entire history. So just because we believe in sola scriptura doesn't mean that you know that the scripture scripture alone um, it doesn't mean that we're against tradition or against uh, historical theology or church history. It means that but we don't place them side by side, and that's an important thing to say in this discussion because. What ends up happening is you have people abandoning Protestant theology because they say that we're against tradition. No, what we do is we place the Bible, you know, not at the same level of tradition, but over everything. We, we test and examine everything, councils and creeds and everything in light of Scripture. Yeah. And so what this does is it shows us that we, we don't come to just say, OK, well, this is the book that we say we believe. This is the book we actually believe and, and we are going to teach. So. Also, we need to understand that highly competent Bible scholars um, have dealt with these matters uh, in, in great difficulty, and they found that there's no issue um, in holding to biblical literacy. These matters don't relate, don't even uh, scratch the surface because there's answers. Uh, so there's no problem with holding um, you know, that the scriptures are without error and without the possibility of error. That, that should give us confidence that solutions to problem texts are available, and the church has answers um, acro uh, across all sorts of questions and issues. And, and I also want to just say that um, we shouldn't be afraid to answer questions and even hard questions. You know, the church has a long history of um, answering tough questions and dealing with them. Um, so to wrap this up, belief in the scriptures without error and without the possibility of error um, it, it, it is consistent with a lifetime of detailed attention and study of scripture. Yeah, that's great. It sounds like your new book's going to be really helpful, Dave. How's that coming along? Oh, it's good. Yeah, we we finished editing it uh, a couple of weeks ago. So Lord willing, it'll be out in um, in the fall. And and so. Uh, and what would that be called, Dave? It. Yeah. Oh, oh, it's called. the. Oh, sorry, sorry. It's called The Word Matters. The pro, uh, the oh, It's a primer on. Um, the doctrine of scripture okay brilliant i know you enjoy reading christian books as, as same as i do what would you say to someone that has fallen into reading these books instead of their bible yeah well charles spurgeon famously said visit many good books but live in the bible yeah. so the first thing is, is is we read the bible right and then we read those good books so so we prioritize daily bible reading over everything and and this is why i said at the beginning you asked me about what the book is uh, a book is about um, when we understand that the three things God loves, he loves his word, his people and his church. This takes us past the objection that the Bible reading is just a legalism. And if it is, guess what? Sign me up because yeah. I'm I'm good for that legalism, you know, and I'm sure you are, too. And many people are. But, but so we prioritize, you know, the Bible first in our yeah. lives and then we, you know, can read and enjoy and and we can understand it and analyze those books through scripture in yeah. fact you know there's over a hundred bible uh, bible verses in my book so i've been encouraging people when you read my book which i hope you do uh open your bible and read those verses too with the, that are in the footnotes yeah dave it's been brilliant to catch up with you before you go do you have any closing thoughts and also make sure that you tell everyone where to get your book and also how to keep in touch with you yeah absolutely thank you brother uh begin to see the bible as you as you do your need to eat and sleep because Reading the Bible and doing life with other fellow Christians is, is an absolute necessity. Uh, you can find out more about us at servantsofgrace.org. You can subscribe to uh, my podcast, Cooking in Grace, where I interview authors 
Warriors of Grace, where it's my manhood podcast. I talk to guys about men's issues from scripture or Servants of Grace podcast, where I do uh, weekly sermons. Right now I'm going through Second Samuel. I, I also answer people's questions in five to 10 minutes. You can find me on Facebook at Dave J. Jenkins, SOG. And Dave J. Jenkins on Twitter. Thank you, brother, so much for your for your time today. Brilliant. No worries. Well, we're going to find all of those links and make sure that they're in the description below. Dave, thanks again for your time. Really enjoyed it. Thank you, brother. Mm-hmm.